Hey there, and welcome to Busting Out of Breast Cancer, the show that has us straight talking about surviving and thriving breast cancer using the SMILE method. I am Shannon Burroughs, your host for the show. I empower women to invest in their most valuable assets, their homes, health, and happiness. I found my purpose at the intersection of passion and pain while navigating my own breast cancer journey and became the person I couldn't find, a certified cancer exercise specialist. And I want to make sure I share all my expertise and knowledge with you to help you navigate your journey as well. Not to mention, there's a big gap between the medical and fitness industries that I am on a mission to fill. On the show, we share survivor stories and talk about thriving in life, not just surviving. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with breast cancer thriver, wellness enthusiast, and the CEO and founder of Stage, a community and shopping destination around breast cancer. I would like to welcome Ms. Virginia Carnesale, and she is going to share with us her fascinating journey, how she was diagnosed, what her diagnosis was, her treatment, and how she came about starting and creating Stage. So welcome, Virginia. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's great, to, or Shannon, it's great to be here. I'm so excited. I know that you're in California, so I do appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this recording. This is pretty awesome. And those of you that can't see her, Virginia has a beautiful face, a beautiful smile, and she has some really cute glasses that look cute on her. And even though she went through chemo, she's got beautiful hair. So just setting the stage ha, for you, Virginia. <laughs> so please let us know about your diagnosis, how you were diagnosed. I know we chatted, you know, prior to recording or whatever, um, but I want um, other women to know how you found it. Because a lot of people say, oh, you know, I had breath, you know, I had lumps in my breast or I felt it in the shower or I had pain. And usually pain isn't associated with uh, breast cancer diagnosis, but you know what? Nothing is textbook, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for all those wonderful compliments. I feel great. <laughs> um, but how I found out, how I found my breast cancer um, actually was on my first mammogram. So I was 43 and arguably had gone for my first uh, mammogram a little bit late. And, you know, with some nudging by my OBGYN after, you know, my annual checkup, I finally got over to the radiology center and, um, you know, unfortunately for me, they found it. Well, fortunately and unfortunately, right. they, they found it on that first visit. And at that point it was extensive, um, ductal carcinoma institute DCIS. And, um, you know, so they of course ordered additional tests, 3d ultrasound, you know, 3d mammogram, ultrasound and biopsy and, uh, the biopsy confirmed that it was in fact um, estrogen-driven breast cancer. But you know, when I was first diagnosed, it was at stage two or stage zero diagnosis, and um, you know I, that triggered a series of um, me- meetings with various surgeons to understand what what I should do. And you know, I met with four breast surgeons. All of them said I had to do a mastectomy in my right side. And really, it was up to me about what I wanted to do on the other side. Um, but told me to just get my surgery done within two months. So I went about my business. I, um, you know, met with, (laughs) believe it or not, I met with nine plastic surgeons. Um, I'm probably a little bit of an overachiever. (laughs) 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 But you're just very thorough, Virginia. You're just thorough. (laughs) I was very thorough. And they told, you know, at the each doctor said, just get it done within two months, you'll be fine. Um, and I wanted to really find, you know, a team um, of, of, you know, surgeons that I felt very confident in, in it. 
I was very, I ended up going with an all female team that I, you know, were so, sort of similar in age as me. And um, I just felt like they really could understand me and related to the things that I cared about. Um, where I, you know, so I always tell people, you're going to be with these practitioners for a really long time <laughs> in terms of um, checkups and everything else. So um, it was worth it to me to take the time to find the right folks. Um, and I felt confident because they had, you know, all sort of told me similar things. I felt confident in my decision to have that mastectomy when, you know, when the first person told me that I was like sort of in disbelief that this could actually be happening because I didn't, didn't have any symptoms and no lumps, nothing. And um, so it was a little hard to accept, but, you know, through, through that whole process that I took, you know, I finally got comfortable with what I needed to do. Um, so I, you know, I did have, um, I did choose to uh, preserve my fertility before I went through with my surgery. And so that kind of extended the time frame. And I also was diagnosed just before the holidays um, three years ago. So, you know, was working around schedules and, um, you know, ended up taking probably two and a half months uh, to get procrastination, I'm sure, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, took, took two and a half months to get the surgery. And uh, unfortunately for me, by the time I did do that, my cancer had spread and to two lymph nodes. So, you know, I ended up with a little ser more serious of a case and a stage two diagnosis um, after I went in for that um, mastectomy. And as a, as a result, I ended up doing a double mastectomy um, because I just didn't want to go through uh, this process twice. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. That's how I felt with getting my oncotype uh, test. So I find it interesting that you didn't have your first mammogram until 43, which mm -hmm. seems very late, but you know, life gets busy and gets in the way. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, as women tend to put ourselves last, right. We don't think about, Oh, it's not that important. You know, I don't have, you know, any history of breast cancer. I don't have any lumps. Like I'm good. Yep. And, um, but I also think it's fascinating that you knew to preserve your eggs. So did your yeah. doctor, did your female team, uh, discuss that with you? Or does that something that you were just like, wait, I want to have kids. Like, this is what I should, you know, try to look at the research. So I actually had a friend of a friend that had gone through breast cancer uh, two years before I was diagnosed. And the only reason why I even knew about the, you know, decision to preserve your fertility before chemo is because of her. So, um, you know, I had a level of awareness that really only came via word of mouth. And um, when my OBGYN broke the news to me <laughs> that I had breast cancer, that was the first question that I asked her. And, you know, um, as a credit to my, uh, my treatment team, every single one, my oncologist that I had a consult with, you know, my breast surgeon, my reconstructive plastic surgeon, when I told all of them that, you know, preserving my fertility was a priority for me, all of them supported that decision and encouraged me to just uh, go through the process. And I'm glad, I'm glad that I did, you know, um, so. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's fantastic. I wish, well, I was 45 when I was diagnosed, so it's kind of like a little late to the game for that, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that like, that is one thing that I hope 
that listeners take away from this is if you are newly diagnosed or if you have a loved one or, you know, someone newly diagnosed, you know, mention that to them. Listen, if you are, you know, at a point in your life that you are able to preserve your eggs, please make sure you take those, those steps and those initiatives to do so. That's so important because, you know, that's one of the great things we get to go through as a woman, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really passionate about it. Um, you know, I, I think it's heartbreaking to me when I talk to other women that, you know, were diagnosed young and either didn't have the financial resources or know that, or no one talked to that, to it about them as a consideration when they were, you know, rushing into chemo. And, um, I really think it's unfortunate. So a little later, when we talk about my business, I'll, yeah. I'll share how I'm, um, giving back actually to a nonprofit that does just that helps provide financial assistance to young women who, um, so that they can access, uh, fertility preservation themselves. Cause that is not inexpensive. Knowing that I went through IVF myself, that is not cheap. I, I joke with my daughter. I was like, listen, you've already entered into this world in debt. <laughs> your, your round of IVF costs a lot of money. I'm like, yes, you're my miracle child, but like, let's talk. <laughs> it is, it is. Oh my gosh. Um, there was one thing that we talked about offline before, or actually there's a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about the Oncotype test and how I was fortunate to have my general surgeon mention to me that, you know, he can send my biopsy off for the, um, the Oncotype test to see what my rate of recurrence would be. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned that you never had that, but you have something else called a mammal print, which I had never heard of. And I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. So those of you that are listening, you know, if you do have the opportunity to request an Oncotype test now, it's not for everybody. I know that you, you know, there's certain diagnosis or qualifications or whatever, like that you have to have. Um, but ask your doctor about it. It, I say it was a newer back then. It, I think it's a little bit more prevalent now, but mm-hmm. you know, definitely ask for an oncotype test if they can with your biopsy or ask for this mammal print. So let us t- talk to us a little bit more about the mammal print. What is that? Yeah. So when I went to, I had a consult with my oncologist before the mastectomy. So, um, it just so happens that for my particular, um, you know, type of breast cancer and stage of diagnosis, she, she prefers to give the manor print test. And the way that I understand it is they, you know, um, use your sample that they remove, you know, your tissue from the mastectomy, and then they, you know, um, perform some, all bunch of analysis on it that, um, predicts your, the likelihood of your cancer to recur over a certain period of time. And I learned through that test that I had a high chance of recurrence. Um, my chance of recurrence was 29% within 10 years. And, you know, um, there were also studies that were done that showed that for people in my exact situation, you know, doing four rounds of chemo preventatively um, lowered that percentage from 29% down to 5%. So, you know, one in three was not acceptable odds for me. <laughs> um, you know, 5% sounded much better. Um, uh, you know, so I basically psyched myself up to go get the chemo because, uh, you know, I, I felt like the data was there in front of me and, right. you know, and, um, so I'm a numbers driven person. If you're going to show me a chart like that, I'm going to do what you want me to do because, um, you know, I, uh, I got a lot of life left to live. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's right. 
a lot of things to do. <laughs> Speaking of being numbers driven, you come from the retail world. And um, so we know in retail, it's about numbers. We talked offline about how, you know, you're very big into the, the retail and fashion. And I am big into retail because I love pretty displays. I like everything to look nice and pretty. That's my OCD. Um, but uh, so let's, that's a great segue into talking about stage. You're the CEO right. and founder of stage, which is a marketplace and media platform, basically e-commerce and content and mission driven um, to basically create a shopping destination around breast cancer and a community around breast cancer, which I think is really, really, really cool because I love being able to connect with other thrivers first and foremost. I'd love to be able to connect with other thrivers that are doing something to give back to other thrivers. And I love to connect other women to help each other build their businesses on that. So I think that's always fascinating. So um, talk to us about how that came about and what exactly stage is and how you uh, give back. Cause you mentioned that just recently about how you do that. Absolutely. So um, I, like, as you mentioned, I spent my, the last 20 years of my career working in retail and, you know, um, uh, in a variety of different roles from strategy to merchandising, to marketing um, for big brands, little brands, um, e-commerce, uh, fashion and beauty. So it's what I do. <laughs> it's what I've, you know, been used to thinking about all the time. Um, and, you know, when I became a patient, there was a few things that stood out to me um, from the patient's journey and point of view that led me to have this vision to create stage. Um, and, you know, given my experience in the industry, I knew I had a unique opportunity to really simplify the shopping journey for other women, um, which is really the reason why I did it. But the three things that um, stood out to me is one, there's just an incredible amount of information the patient needs to get up to speed on in a short period of time in order to make smart decisions for themselves, you know, around, you know, types of breast cancer, treatment paths, diet and lifestyle changes that they can make to, you know, um, support prevent, prevention, prevention, um, you know, survivorship, all of that. It's just a lot and it's very overwhelming and, you know, there's no shortage of information that's out there. Um, but, you know, for me, I really found comfort in, you know, reading and learning about these things, meeting with nutritionists, talking to other patients, um, you know, gather fact finding and gathering those types of information. And, you know, I just happened to be on a, a little break for my career when I was diagnosed. And so I had the time and resources to do this, you know, and I know so many women um, don't know or don't have the time to be able to invest in um, gathering the knowledge and, you know, knowledge is power, right? Or the bandwidth. Exactly. Exactly. Emotional or physical. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, my oncologist always says there's three types of patients. There's the ones that come in and say, doc, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, you know, um, just tell me what to do. There's retail, the we that, call that the lay down sale. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and then there's the ones like me that come in with the list and ask a bunch of questions and get a bunch of second opinions. And they call us the engineering types. And then the third type where people are just more emotional about the way that they process and they, you know, have a hard time, um, you know, they have a hard time with it overall. So, you know, knowledge is power and knowledge mm -hmm. is what kind of like the number one thing she needs. Um, second, I found so um, 
much comfort in talking to other survivors that I was lucky to get connected with through my own personal network. And I talked to women uh, that were so generous, you know, complete strangers, <laughs> you know, uh, arranged phone calls with them to learn about what to expect from a double mastectomy or surgery or, you know, chemo radiation. And it was those conversations that got me comfortable with what I was about to go through. Um, women need community when they're going yeah. through this. And, you know, the, you, you absolutely, I mean, I was so blessed to have friends and family um, to be able to, you know, go through this with me, attend doctor's appointments, things like that. But um, there's also just this incredible sisterhood amongst survivors and a unique ability to be able to understand um, what you're going through. And so, you know, the community aspect is incredibly important um, of her journey, right? Uh, having support, not feeling like you're going through this alone. Mm -hmm. um, and then thirdly, um, was the realization that I just bought so much stuff to support each step of the journey, whether it was, you know, button front pajamas and zip front hoodies and, you know, uh, button front shirts post-surgery, right? Because you can't lift your arms over your head for six weeks to, um, you know, the pillows. Pillow. Oh, yes. Pillows, silk pillowcases, you know, obnoxious bras. Uh, exactly. Mastectomy bras, bralettes, uh, eye masks, <laughs> um, drain carriers, and, you know, moving into, you know, the sleeves. Sorry, sleeve. Oh, yeah. Sleeves. Of course, compression sleeves, managing lymphedema, which I'm, um, you know, unfortunately have to deal with. And, you know, but the, the hair loss and regrowth process with chemotherapy takes two years, really, for me, it took a two, two years to um, get back to almost where I was um, before this experience. And I bought hats, scarves, wigs, headbands, you know, to support each step of the way, right. And I used fashion things like, you know, bright lipstick and big earrings to feel feminine during a time yeah, when I just didn't. feel pretty, right, exactly. So anyway, moral of the story is, um, what I ended up building is a one-stop shop for women that are going through breast cancer treatment and recovery and, um, you know, just to take the guesswork out of preparing for different phases of treatment and to pull it all together in one spot. I mean, I shopped so many different places to find the things that I needed. I ended up returning a lot of things. It was just a lot of work. And, you know, to my point earlier in this conversation, uh, you know, most women don't have a lot of time on their hands, you know, when this happens to them. And so this was my way of just sort of paying it forward. And, you know, um, We've, we're also, uh, where the content piece comes in is we're curating helpful tips and advice on our blog from women that have been through this journey. So all of our content on our website is written by survivors, authenticated by medical experts, but it's literally what things do you need to know at each step of the journey so that patients and their supporters can advocate for themselves, understand what they're about to go through. It was almost my way of like bottling some of that helpful tips and advice that I got from other patients and like making it available to more folks because there's just a lot that um, your physician doesn't tell you and it's not out of um, any malintent, it's just not what they're focused on. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And there's so many like things that you learn, um, along the way, um, you know, crazy little, uh, funny, some funny, some not so funny, <laughs> you know, like things, um, that, you know, people 
sometimes they don't have some anyone to turn to. Um, you know, they feel very alone and isolated throughout this experience. So, you know, our blog is intended to um, be there for her when she needs it and to also just get to the point, you know, about what's what she needs to know and, and she can, you know, choose her own adventure and digest the information at her own pace. Um, and then finally, we have a registry on our site so that patients can create, um, you know, wish lists for the items that they might want and need to support their recovery. You know, That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I um, was very fortunate to, you know, have a lot of people in my life during this time. And, you know, the flowers were a beautiful mood boost and uplifting, but after a period of time, like flowers, the utility of flowers sort of wear off. Right. right. And, and I ended up getting like really thoughtful gifts from people that they thought would be helpful that I couldn't actually use. So things like supplements that you definitely can't take during chemotherapy. Um, I had somebody send me turmeric supplements, I think, because they learned that that helps prevent cancer. Well, little do they know that actually you cannot take that while you're undergoing chemo or or radiation because it could diminish the effects, you know? So, I mean, people just want, and of course I got beauty products that were not clean beauty products. I got, um, you know, a lot of candy, uh, people sent to me and, you know, I I can't even count the number of packages of gummy bears I got and, you know, sugar is really, yes. And chocolate too. (laughs) Um, and you know, people just want to help. And so Mm -hmm. our registry is our way uh, and our content on our site is our way of making, empowering the patient to be able to tell people what they need. Um, and, and, um, you know, and so there's that, but, um, yeah, so, so we're a multi-branded retail platform. Just think of us as like an online, yeah, exactly. Online department store for somebody that's going through cancer treatment. Um, you know, we have a mixture of well-known brands and, and also survivor led brands. There are a lot of amazing women out there who've also walked this road that are creating solutions for others based upon needs that they identified, you know, during their breast cancer journey, whether it be apparel, accessories, clean beauty, or even, um, some home goods. Um, you know, those are the categories which we carry on our, on our site. And, um, and, you know, as you mentioned before, uh, you know, compression garments, unsexy things like that we have as, as well. But, um, you know, I think the, the intention of, you know, people don't really realize that fighting breast cancer is a full lifestyle, <laughs> you know, um, and it, you got it, that right. Yeah. And, it, and it's with you for, you know, not only is it with you through your active treatment phase, like you're on that path for life. So, right. you know, I wanted to create a community around, you know, that lifestyle and to inspire women to stay the course, you know, keep up with their healthy habits, like after they're done with treatment and, you know, and, and support each other because it takes a lot of commitment um, to be able to, to do that. It certainly does. And I love that you created the whole like platform for everything, community and shopping, because, Mm -hmm. you know, my journey is definitely different than yours and vice versa. And pretty much everyone that I've, you know, interviewed on my podcast, you know, you may have a, the same diagnosis or, you know, very similar, but your treatments may be a little bit different because of whatever stages you're in and, you know, your age, whatever, like there's so many different factors and I agree with you. People just want to help. Right. Mm -hmm. So they don't, you know, they think that's comforting to like, 
you know, bring candy or gummy bears. I'm like, I'm still really floored by that. <laughs> like I can see if you're 12, but, um, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to turn down a Lily's chocolate. I'm not going to, I'm not gonna lie. Like, cause yeah. that's made with stevia. So, but, um, yeah, and make I mean, it 72% or higher. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like people do just want to help, but it's nice to be able to say like, it's no, Hey, listen, you, you have a baby and you get married, you create a registry. These are the things I want and need. Yeah. Listen, I'm going through breast cancer. These are the things I want and need. Yes. You know, yes. and, and people, not everybody's going to be comfortable with creating a registry. Right. I mean, listen, breast cancer is a very personal and individual experience. We're not saying that there's one right way to do it. It's an individual mm-hmm. yeah. thing, but we're just empowering, you know, my goal is to empower women with information and also uh, empower them with style because no one wants to look like a breast cancer patient when they're going through it, you know? And, you know, I just, I remember, you know, I was always paranoid. Someone would call me out when I was outside the house, you know, ask me why I was wearing a chemo turban or beanie and, you know, or look at me differently because, you know, because I had no hair or whatever it was. And so I guess I just really, I used fashion as my outlet to maintain my self-confidence Yeah, and, you know, not everybody is naturally inclined that way. So we're just kind of pulling all this cute stuff together to be able to, you know, make it easier on a girl. <laughs> um, yeah. And to make you feel like you can still look cute and you can still look pretty and you can still have a feminine side to you, exactly. even though you're going through it. And, but yet you're creating that community to allow that you know, yes. that, that safety, safety net, right. That yes. little group. Yes. So that community. So that's awesome. And to show her, like, how do you, I mean, I ended up changing the way that I dressed, you know, it's dramatic when you're, when you're, um, when you go from having like long hair to having very short hair or no hair or whatever it ends up being, or, you know, lots of head wrap scars, whatever it totally impacts what you, how you end up dressing the rest of the outfit. Right. Right. So, I, I mean, I remember moments where I, would need to go somewhere. And I, you know, wasn't shopping during this period of time and trying to figure out what to wear in your closet is so overwhelming, it's upsetting, it's frustrating, you know, so not only are, you know, we here to, you know, give you options to, to buy for yourself. We're also here to give you like tips and advice on how to like make do with what you've got. <laughs> right. You know? Um, and so, uh, that's part of our content play, but you know, the, the other, you know, big component to our business is our mission and our mission around giving back to, um, organizations that directly support the patient's needs before, during, and after treatment. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, we give back a portion of proceeds on all sales, um, to three organizations, three key giving pillars. The first is an organization um, called the Chick Mission that uh, provides that fertility preservation grants for young cancer patients um, and to preserve preserve their fertility. So where you know um, uh, egg freezing might be out of reach, people can provide uh, or apply for grants, and they're. Uh, active in 11, they've been successful at uh, changing legislation in 11 states to require require insurance companies to cover the cost of of fertility preservation for cancer patients. That's phenomenal. I know. I think the work that they're doing is amazing. What Um, are they called again? Sorry, I don't mean to The Chick Mission. Yeah. I love that. 
Uh-huh. And they're, they're one of our partners. Um, the second giving pillar is um, an organiz- is around financial assistance. So there's an organization called the SAM Fund, which is part of Expect Miracles. And they give uh, financial grants to young survivors who are trying to recover from the out-of-pocket costs of you know, cancer treatment and, um, and just trying to catch up with their bills. <laughs> you know, uh, out-of-pocket costs can be incredibly destabilizing to young adults. Oh, yeah. And so- And um, older adults. <laughs> tell me about it, right? And I think, you know, I, I can speak from experience. I personally ended up going back into the work workforce too soon after my final, you know, after radiation and while I was waiting for my last surgery before my stamina was there because I needed to, you know, make some money. And um, so anyway, I love what the SAM Fund is doing by, you know, providing grants uh, to, you know, deserving patients or survivors. And then finally, the last giving pillar is an organization that provides free integrative wellness therapies and support, um, nutrition counseling, um, clean beauty uh, uh, education. Um, They're called Unite for Her, and they've helped over 10,000 women, um, you know, through this journey. And so I think what they do is is amazing. And um, this was my way of really connect, you know, uh, giving back to other women that are walking this road that might not have the the resources or the help that they need. I love that. I want to interview all of them on my podcast. (laughs) I'm sure they'd love it. (laughs) Especially going through in vitro myself. I mean, I'm grateful that I was able to do it um, when I was 35, but you know, that was still in the cusp of being a little bit late blooming, but um, I know we talked offline about how I, you know, I am a huge advocate for really knowing what you put into your body and like in vitro infertility, infertility treatments being one of them. Um, I absolutely would love to interview them. I think that'd be amazing because it's unfortunate, but so many young women are being diagnosed like in their twenties. It's so so true. It's so true. I mean, you know, there wasn't, there's no family history of breast cancer in in my, my um, line and, you know, 85% of breast cancer diagnoses are to women that have no family history. So mm-hmm. when you, this comes around, um, it also uh, often comes as a really big shock, particularly if you don't have any symptoms like me, you know, um, and, and to your point earlier about getting my mammogram late, yes, I did miss a few years. You know, they had started telling me to get a mammogram around age 40. And I had a really demanding job at the time and a fast paced life living in a big city. And I just never was able to get the appointment on the books. I don't even have a good excuse for it. It just, I didn't make myself a priority. And unfortunately I did when I did when I did, but you know, um, you know, you, you can't take that time back. All you can do is try to optimize, you know, uh, the future. And so, and, and advocate for other women to make sure that it's a priority. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about one other thing real quick. That is another thing that is, um, forgotten about, and we don't really think twice before we do it. Um, and it falls right into being a wellness enthusiast as well. Like as we both are very much into health, fitness and live in a healthy lifestyle, lifestyle by design, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, we were talking about putting your cell phone in your bra when you went to go exercise. Oh, so yes. this is the, this is that question that, you know, does this fall into, you know, maybe this, you know, attributed to your diagnosis. Maybe it didn't, maybe it's like, listen, we are all guilty of just throwing it in, you know, 
to our bra real quickly. You know, maybe we have to pick up something, go do something, whatever you do it for working out. Mm-hmm. I told you a story about, I don't even know if I shared with the listeners, but if you follow me on social media, I made a joke. I didn't, well, it wasn't a joke, but it was seriously like what happened to me, but it's kind of funny to just like to be like, I just shit show of a day of like all the three things that happened. My heel broke anyway, like everything happened all in that day. And one of them was I lost my cell phone and my cell phone was actually stuck in my bra because it was torrential downpour and I couldn't find it. And it's because I couldn't, couldn't feel anything. <laughs> but anyway, that's my story of the bra, but you actually took it a step further and talked to your doctors about it. Yes. So, um, you know, I've, I've always been very fitness minded. I was a competitive gymnast as a young girl. And, you know, so I've, I've always exercised and really enjoyed that, um, as a way to, you know, stay mentally sound and physically fit over the years. And, you know, so working out was part of my life for, you know, my whole I mean, never since a teenager. And when cell phones became small enough and had the music on them, you know, I sort of ditched the armband and just started stashing it in my bra because I'm petite. Like those armbands were super clunky. I've always felt like it was the phone was sliding down my arm because it's heavy. <laughs> and, you know, when I went to go lift weights, I just, it was a convenient solution to start tucking my cell phone in my bra and I really never thought about it. And I probably did that two to three times a week, uh, for 45 minutes to an hour for over the course of seven or eight years before I was diagnosed. And I never even thought twice about it until, um, I went to the gym a couple weeks after I had my biopsy when I got the, um, positive, uh, diagnosis and I subconsciously went to go stash the bra in, or, you know, the phone in the bra when I was lifting weights and it was incredibly sore right there. And it was like the light bulb went off. I thought, Oh my goodness, did I do this to myself? And it, to me, there's just too much of a coincidence. It's too much of a coincidence that my breast cancer formed in the exact place where the cell phone used to sit. And it's the exact size. I mean, I was diagnosed with eight centimeters of DCIS. That's so big, you know, and it was in the upper outer right quadrant of my breast. And, um, you know, so of course I panicked when I sort of had this realization and started asking, you know, all the surgeons that I met with oncologists, I even asked my <laughs> um, cardiologist when I went to go do my pre-surgery, um, you know, testing and all but one doctor told me it's possible. We just don't know enough about this yet. And really just encouraged me not to beat myself up about it or go think about that, the past, go down that hole. Right. Fo- focus on the future which I did, but you know, it's really hard to let go of that. And, um, in all fairness, I did have a woman approach me probably a year and a half before I was diagnosed in the gym. It saw me doing that. And, and with a concerned look on her face and said, you know, you know, that can cause breast cancer. And I kind of thought I was taken aback when she told me that. And, you know, of course I was spooked in the moment, but I had already been doing it for like a good six years at this point. So like that temporary concern just sort of fell away and I went back about my business and, you know, then it sure came back around to bite me. So, you know, I, I don't share that information for fear, fear mongering. I share it because, you know, I think 
um, people need to be aware of the risks around carrying like, you know, these very powerful devices on their person. And, you know, I just always encourage people, like if you see anybody <laughs> doing it, just, you know, tell them my story because I don't, you know, I, you can't take back time and, um, you know, this is one of many things I felt I learned about prevention only after I had been diagnosed, which, you know, left me feeling a little flat, flat footed and frustrated. And, you know, uh, that's part of my mission is to be able to share these things that are sort of hidden dangers, maybe in your yep. everyday life and little lifestyle choices that add up over years and years. And, lower your body's natural ability to fight off cancer itself. And it's, it's things like, you know, toxins and beauty products, like mm -hmm. choosing not to breastfeed before 40, like being on the pill for more than 10 years, having more than three alcoholic beverages in a week, drinking out of plastic containers, you know, you know um, EMF radiation, as I mentioned, there's a lot of things that to, when taken in isolation, you know, don't cause cancer on their own, but when stacked up with all these other things, um, you know, it can, can be a trigger. I, I believe that, you know, leads down this road. So anyway, and and um, foods and everything foods, you know, pesticides, yeah. the list, uh, the list goes on. <laughs> and, it can, and that's super overwhelming too. Like, let's be real. Like when you think yeah. about all that, like, yeah, you change everything all at once is like, I mean, that stresses me out. Like you have to do just like everything else. I've talked about numerous times. Like you have to do everything in moderation. Start with one thing. If you try to do everything at once, you're just going to fail. So you might as well not even try. So exactly. start with one thing. And if, you know what, if relocating your cell phone into your pocket or your purse is a start, start with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And put it on airplane mode. <laughs> um, um, it's true though. I mean, I, I even remember as I was navigating treatment, asking my doctors, do I need to change my beauty products and all this stuff? And they said, slow down, <laughs> you know, take it one step at a time, like do what you got to do to get through, you know, the chemo and, and the radiation and tackle one little thing at a time. I found it very empowering personally to, you know, um, change my diet right away, you know, mm -hmm. change my household cleaning supplies, you know, um, and, and uh, really start cooking for myself. And then I tackled the beauty products over time. Um, but you know, that's part of what we're trying to do is make it easier on her when curating things um, that, you know, are, you know, free of endocrine disruptors and, and known toxin car car carcinogens um, onto our site that when she's ready, she doesn't have to think about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because there's so much to change, right. It could be like, maybe just start with your lipstick. Maybe just start with your mascara. Like just start with your lotion, you know, like yeah. little, little, or little developing more healthy, like sleep habits. Right. I used to drink coffee in the afternoon, not realizing that the half-life of coffee is seven hours. <laughs> so I, I couldn't figure out for years why I was always waking up in the middle of the night. And, you know, it was probably because I was having caffeine too late in the day. Right. But I learned about, you know, sleep hygiene and the things you oh, can do around magical. temperature and, you know, um, and light, you know, reducing light in your space. And, um, you know, so it was those little things I enjoyed learning about and mm -hmm. kind of building into my everyday routine. And that helped me feel like gain a sense of control over right. my situation and the For time sure. where, you know, you really 
don't have control of your body, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's a balance. And, you know, like I said earlier, um, you know, it's a uniquely personal journey and, um, you know, I, I encourage women to do it their own way. We're just trying to help each other out by sharing shortcuts and, yep. and tips and, and tips, tricks and products. resources, tips, yeah. tricks, and resources. <laughs> exactly. Right. Try saying that three times fast. Um, <laughs> tricks and resources. That's right. Um, you've given a lot of amazing tips. Um, speaking of which, um, so if you had to give one piece of advice, I mean, I will say for me mm-hmm. talking about the phone thing, talking about, um, preserving your eggs, those are, you know, two big, huge takeaways, um, for me personally, which, you know, I'm aware of obviously after the fact, but I didn't have to think about that when I was diagnosed, but what would be, um, your number one tip that you would like to give to somebody who is, let's see, do we want to talk about preventing or going through treatment? I'm going to talk about preventing. Number one, I would say, um, oh gosh, there's so many. I know those are also big ones. You know, I really do think though that, um, uh, I really do think that having less than three alcoholic beverages in a week is a statistic that women that we're not really telling our young women. And I see as, you know, so, you know, even if you're just a social drinker, you know, that can easily add up, you know, and people are going to networking events, you know, social functions, things like that. Um, I think that level of awareness, um, you know, needs to, that is just something that I want more young women to understand. Right. Um, cause that's a kind of a big one. Um, that's a big one. And then also, you know, so many women are having children later in life now mm-hmm. and no, no OBGYN ever told me, you know, you really need to think, think about breastfeeding by 40 because your risk for breast cancer s- shoots through the roof. No, no one had that conversation with me. And I felt like a little short changed. Yeah. <laughs> diagnosed, um, with just learning those two things. I mean, other, I lived a pretty healthy life, my whole adult life or thought I was, but you know, there's these little things, um, that I think, you know, just aren't mainstream knowledge that, that, um, you know, can make a big difference. What about a tip for after you're diagnosed, if you're newly diagnosed? Yeah. Newly diagnosed, I would say, take it one day at a time. It, you know, it's so overwhelming. There's, you know, there's a lot to digest and take it one day at a time and don't try to do this alone. Like, you know, really encourage people to bring a friend or two, you know, or, or into it, into this knowledge with you. Um, you know, somebody that you can talk to, you know, during this time. And if you don't have that, then seeking out and trying to get resources. I, you know, many, most cancer centers have, you know, free social services where there are people that are there, you know, to talk to, you know, people like us and, you know, they talk to people all day long, every day who have been through this and can help you, um, you know, understand that your fears are normal and, and things like that. So I would say, take it one day at a time. Don't try to do this alone. And then the third one, I'm going to give you another third gem is um, to curate positivity in your life. Yes. I wanted to hear good stories when I was going through this. 
I did not want to hear the story about somebody's cousin's neighbor who right. had a really terrible experience. I wanted to hear, uh, yeah, I wanted to hear about the stories where people, you know, overcame it and went on to, you know, chase their dream, have the family that they wanted, whatever it was. And so I was really conscientious about, you know, choosing who I surrounded myself with during that time and really making sure that it was people that, you know, were lifting me up and that were feeding me that kind of information. And when I was feeling down, I would look for, you know, motivational speakers to listen to really. And whether they be religious in nature or business in nature or whatever it is, um, you know, I listen to uh, videos on YouTube and things like that, just to help me feel, give me hope. Yeah. Those are all perfect, perfect, perfect tips for prevention and for after being newly diagnosed Mm -hmm. and curating positivity is the first and foremost in my eyes, because once you can create that positive mindset, everything else should fall into place because then at least you have some sort of clarity in your Mm -hmm. mind. You know, you've taken control of your mind and your mindset Mm -hmm. to be able to make those, you know, rational decisions, which we hope are rational decisions. (laughs) Listen, you'd make the best decision for yourself at any given point with the information that you have, right? That's right. And you can't look back. You have to focus on the future and just know that it's an imperfect process and you do the best with the information that you can have. And hopefully, you know, we can play one small part in, in, you know, helping supporting women along that road. 100%. And everyone can find you. I'm going to put all your contact information into the show notes along with all of, you know, bullet points of what we discussed, but people can find you on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, correct? Right. Everywhere. And website? Shopstage.co. Woohoo! <laughs> awesome. Yes. So um, please go check uh, Virginia out at shopstage.co. Um, I know if you're like walking or in your car right now, I don't want you to worry about that. It will be in the show notes. So, um, yes, definitely go check out Virginia and make sure you can support her. Maybe you have, like I said, a friend, family member, loved one, you know, that's newly diagnosed or going through it. And maybe you could just make that one little purchase or maybe just create that registry for them, mm-hmm. you know, because exactly. if they don't, they don't know what they don't know. And sometimes it's just nice for, you know, we talked about earlier about people just wanting to give and give to the person that's going through something that they don't know what to give, but me, you know what, they could contact you and be like, Hey, you know, my friend's going through this. This is their diagnosis going through this surgery. What would you recommend? Right. Mm-hmm. And we have amazing. articles with those exact tips on our blog. So, um, if, if you don't know, um, you can check that out. If you don't know, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I have had such a pleasure interviewing you and talking to you and learning so much more, not only about your journey, but where you've taken this to the next level. You've taken your retail background in business um, and you've just made a complete amazing platform for other survivors. So between e-commerce and just like moral support and media and content and everything. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. And um yeah, I have so many people I can connect you with. So happy to do so offline because I love connecting women. I love connecting women business owners and just making the world a better place. Amazing. Well, thank doing you my so thing. much for the opportunity. And it was so great to get to know you. And thank you for the work that you're doing to help other patients and survivors too. Thank you. Just doing my job of changing the world one smile at a time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you so much for being here. 
and listening. I hope this week's episode has somehow changed your life with a smile. If you're looking for guidance through your breast cancer journey, including your recovery, but don't know where to start, let's chat. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, know someone who would be a great guest or have topic ideas, email me at smile at Until next week, live well, laugh often, and love much.